Welcome and thank you for joining us for the very first episode of Mufid 19. I am Hisham Salam. I'm joined by my co-host, the man widely known as Amr Hamzawi, but whose real name is really Amr Hamzawi. We are having a discussion today about how the COVID-19 pandemic has been perceived in the Arab world. We are pleased to welcome our guest today, professor of politics at Princeton University and co-principal investigator of the Arab Barometer Project, Amani Jamal. Amani, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be with you, uh, Hisham and Amar. Amani, how has public opinion in the Arab world responded to the COVID-19 pandemic? And what are their attitudes towards their government's handling of that crisis? Yeah, no, that's a wonderful question, Hisham. Um, so uh, what we find in the Arab barometer data is uh, some variation across countries in terms of how people assess the challenge, uh, the crisis uh, of COVID. So, for example, you take a country uh, like Algeria, and another country like Jordan, where the public really felt that these the, the COVID virus was uh, or pandemic was posing a serious challenge to the countries, versus another country like Lebanon or Tunisia, where they already were suffering economic crisis, they weren't really prioritizing that the COVID was uh, posing that much of an additional crisis. So again, there was a lot of variation across the countries, depending on I think where each of the countries. Uh, was uh, economically to begin with, um, because Tunisia and Lebanon were already suffering economic crisis, they placed less of a priority of the challenge on, on COVID, whereas countries like Algeria and Jordan uh, felt that uh, COVID posed more serious challenges. What did you guys find as surprising patterns in terms of public opinion trends, uh, public opinion response to COVID-19, as well as to um, uh, its social economic challenges, public health challenges, and maybe vaccination policies? Wonderful, uh, Amr. So what I, what I found uh, most surprising um, is that uh, in 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 some countries, uh, like kind of like the variation we witnessed in our in the United States, uh, some people were taking the COVID crisis a lot more seriously than others. Um, so, among the people who were not who were not concerned about the COVID virus, for example, in Iraq, forty three percent of those who were not concerned uh, basically said it was because that the COVID virus was being exaggerated. So again, we have some of that fake news. Uh, nobody take the virus seriously sort of mantra also infiltrating the Middle East. Uh, in Jordan, about 34% who weren't concerned were also saying that it's exaggerated. So again, this effect of maybe fake news on social media seemed to have some effect uh, in the region. Some of the other surprising results, uh, in my opinion, is that the there is a lot of hesitancy uh, about the vaccines. About 63% of Tunisians said that they were hesitant about taking the vaccine and maybe are uh, very unlikely or somewhat unlikely not to take the vaccine. In Iraq, about 62% expressed, so this is a majority opinion. Algeria, 53% expressed this opinion. Jordan, 51%. So almost in four of the six countries, uh, four, in, four of the seven countries we surveyed, you have majority of the population saying that they were going to think twice about taking the, uh, the vaccine. Uh, only in Morocco, Libya, and Lebanon, the numbers are, uh, in Lebanon, 30%, Libya, 27%, and Morocco, 11%. So in, 11, in Morocco, you have like sort of the highest compliance right. with the vaccination. That, that was very surprising. Also, what was very surprising about that, Ahmad and Hisham, is that oftentimes, especially when we work on the Middle East, we uh, on the Arab world, we often say, well, it's all about levels of uh, education. It's, it's the less education, educated who will not take. Um, believe it or not, we find very little variation 
across education groups on this question. So in other words, in Iraq, it's the, the high educated versus the lower educated are, are just as likely to say this response. A similar story is in Tunisia, in Algeria. In Jordan, we do see education matters slightly. Lebanon education matters slightly, but no effect in Libya or Morocco. So again, this is not necessarily being driven by levels of education. So there, there is this general concern in the public, which, which if you ask my analysis on this, Amar and Hisham, if I can just get ahead, I think this is where the public uh, health campaigns need to be much more effective um, in terms of reaching an audience, which is, I think this speaks to more of the health infrastructure uh, in, in many of the countries. And my last point about a surprising finding, Amr and Hisham, I believe uh, the COVID crisis helped several Arab regimes. Uh, and what do I mean by that? It helped the authoritarian project, if you may. What do I mean by that? I mean two things. One, what we when we track levels of confidence in existing Correct. political institutions, before and after COVID, what we see is that more citizens felt, especially the citizens who felt that their countries did a good job, in combating COVID, we saw that their levels of confidence uh, grew in the government. Um, the, the second dimension of this is something that we're tracking. We find roughly, this is like a rough estimate across all countries, about a third of the populations basically saying that the regimes have more, should have more powers to monitor citizens, tracing them, contact and trace, tracing wise, that citizen freedom should be curtailed in terms of movement, expression of speech uh, and censorship because of, uh, to, to allow governments more effectively to combat COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so again, this idea that citizens are willing to give up their human rights because of the, the, the public health pandemic. So in, in, if you look at those two dimensions of this, I believe this further helps uh, authoritarian regimes with the authoritarian reversals in many country, uh, but also sort of enjoy popular support as they're doing that. So, Amani, if I can follow up on your last point, are citizens in Arab countries interested in transparency? Do citizens trust official statistics? I mean, do citizens regard official statistics as transparent? Do they value transparency as an important deed for Arab governments to stick to, or is it uh, sidelined as well? Uh, when we ask people about corruption and transparency in the Middle East, uh, the vast majority of citizens believe that there is a, uh, a very high percentage of corruption and the lack of transparency in the MENA. So this is sort of conventional wisdom. Mm -hmm. I would say 70 plus percent in every country believes that uh, there is a lack of transparency and, and, and high levels of corruption in their countries. So how has COVID uh, helped? if you may, Arab regimes, it seems that Arab citizens are willing, are more willing um, to turn a blind eye to some of the civil rights uh, abuses in, 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 the, in, in the wake of trying to get uh, the pandemic under, under control. I do want to say, Ahmed, just uh, on this, in terms of the <laughs> pandemic, when we asked people why they were most affected by the pandemic, they said that because they had a family relative or someone, a, a member of their family who was sick and or was affected by the disease. So this was it's a very personal story for citizens. But when we asked them, well, what's the thing that the government now needs to do the most, uh, Ahmed and Hisham, after the pandemic, they say the governments need to create jobs because of the economic uh, impact of the COVID crisis. So again, as I sort of talk about, well, you know, so, so, sometimes when we talk about Arab citizens, 
willing to give up human rights, there's this tendency to want to link, link it always to democratic orientations, democratic values. And if citizens are willing to do away with the, their civil liberties, sometimes the conclusion is drawn that, well, it's because Arab publics still don't enjoy a democratic political culture. I don't believe that. You know, I think if you've seen anything from the Arab Spring, we see that there's a very vibrant and healthy uh, political culture in the region. I think people are economically beholden mm -hmm. to their regimes right now. I mean, the only uh, the only options they have to look towards for better economic futures are the regimes. So, and because of this, they're willing to do away with some of their liberties and freedoms. If, if I may list the freedoms that we asked about specifically, Ahmed, uh, we asked them whether or not they found it acceptable for the governments to curtail their civil liberties during a public health emergency like the COVID pandemic. We asked about limiting freedom of speech, censoring the media, mm -hmm. limit freedom of movement, and monitor and trace citizens' locations. I would say in Jordan, uh, we find most support for, the, for this. In Morocco and Tunisia, we find also second and third, very high support. Um, and that also sort of maps onto the economic crisis. Lebanon comes in fifth there as well. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so this sort of tells us, uh, Ahmed and Hisham, you know, how dependent and reliant uh, citizens are on the regimes for, to, for economic change, economic prosperity moving forward. Uh, but it also, it also tells us that the COVID crisis made the, or at least sort of reinforced this idea that citizens have nowhere to turn to except to their regimes for help and, and assistance. I wonder if the data shows any interesting variation across countries that have experienced civil strife or uh, like uh, Yemen and Syria, uh, as well as countries that have also experienced uh, deep governance crises like Lebanon and Iraq versus the rest of the Arab world. So we were not able to, to conduct this in, in Yemen just because of the infrastructure of trying, you know, uh, randomizing phone, phone surveys and whatnot. Having said that, Hisham, your, your question is spot on in terms of when we look at some of the crisis countries, I mean, some of the, the, the three key crisis countries at the eve of the COVID pandemic were Iraq, Tunisia, and Lebanon, where we, we saw a lot of uh, protests and at least a lot of economic struggles, right? Um, uh, again, you know, increasing percentages of the Tunisian population at the eve of COVID uh, are very concerned about the economic conditions. You know, the decade after the Arab Spring has not been kind economically to Tunisians. It, in fact, more Tunisians say they were better off under Ben Ali than they are today. Lebanon, as you know, has just been a catastrophe. Iraq, we've seen serious protests uh, in, in the last year. Of course, also in Algeria. But uh, when we asked the question about uh, how satisfied are you with government, with your government, the lowest percentages are in Iraq, Tunisia, and Lebanon. Only 4% is satisfied in Lebanon, only 19% in Tunisia, and 24%, about a quarter in Iraq. When we ask them to evaluate the government performance on COVID, you'll see that in each country, especially these three crisis countries, you see a bump. So they, that's why I say that the crisis helped these governments. So in Tunisia, while, while only 19% are satisfied with government, 31% believe the government did a good job. In Lebanon, 4% are satisfied with the government, but 16% believe the government did a good job. Only in Iraq, Iraq is probably one of the, the few countries, probably the only country where a quarter of the population was satisfied with the government, but only 6% of the population is satisfied with how the government handled COVID. Um, and that's perhaps because of the, the, the there was some laxness in the early uh, stages of the, the pandemic spread. But those three countries 
are the least satisfied with the government responses to COVID as well. So although they, there was a bump in terms of improvement of the valuation, they're still on the bottom uh, three countries on, on the list. Amani, if I, if I can take you back to the point regarding vaccine reluctancy, and you said variation in levels of education do not explain vaccine reluctancy. What would explain vaccine reluctancy according to your data? I mean, this is a great question, uh, Ahmed, and it's one that I've been looking into because I'm surprised myself uh, about this. And one of the things we, I looked at just before the podcast is, well, is it gender, right? Is it, do we okay. see maybe it's about men versus women? I'm not seeing any key differences on gender either across the countries. Um, so I'm looking at the data right now. We just ran it actually early this morning. This is the new data that we're getting back from the field, that the, the genders, it's not really breaking down on gender. Uh, and what I'd like to look at is whether uh, Facebook and Facebook access is mediating some of these responses. I think a lot of the fake news is on, on Facebook. I wouldn't be surprised if I found some, we found some results there. And so that's why we're not seeing the difference on education, Ahmed. Um, on this point, I mean, are you expecting changes in citizens' perceptions of governments and government performance to be long-term phenomena, or are our citizens um, uh, moving between positive and negative responses depending on what governments do in terms of combating the pandemic, in terms of a vaccine rollout, and how social and economic challenges related to COVID-19 are being tackled? So this is, uh, yeah, this is a really interesting question. I mean, my sense is that as uh, the economic consequences uh, of COVID really sort of try to settle in, uh, we know that um, you know, economies across the region have been devastated by, by the pandemic. Um, and, and already, we already had very high unemployment rates all across the region, very high youth unemployment rates. And so this is gonna compound these problems. If governments cannot respond, I think it's going to really hurt these governments, especially the, the governments who are already in crises. Um, having said that, uh, Amir, what we did with these co we did ask uh, uh, we did ask questions on government evaluations over three time periods from mm -hmm. uh, from September 2020 to March 2021. So we and then in middle October 2020. So we tried to follow this idea. What I can tell you is that. Uh, in Jordan, although citizens, uh, although citizens were uh, happy with the response of COVID immediately, you know, after COVID spread, we, we, did, we did begin to see a decline among Jordanians. The only country where we're seeing uh, satisfaction levels continue to rise is Morocco. Um, and remember, Morocco is the one country that uh, is also most likely to take the vaccine which this is, again, getting us maybe at uh, state capacity and their public health response to the pandemic. Um, that I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. I mean, everybody has sort of cited Morocco as doing much better on COVID than other countries. Um, but it, it also became much more authoritarian to tackle some of the uh, COVID-related issues. Um, so my, my thinking is that this is sort of maybe, these are like temporary honeymoon periods for the regimes. Um, it depends. What, what, what it's also going to be uh, interesting to see, Ahmed, will regimes in these windows have adopted policies that will continue after the COVID crisis? Thank you, Amani. How does socioeconomic status impact people's perception of the pandemic in the Arab world? Among the poor citizens in the region, uh, 
they are documenting the harmful impacts of COVID uh, a lot more than, let's say, more affluent. And it's, it's, it's obvious, but I do want to say, it, like, like a country um, like Jordan, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, about 61% said they were very concerned about COVID, but among the poor citizens of Jordan, that number is closer to uh, 83%. So there's like almost a 20 percentage point spread. In countries where you already have growing inequalities, and where the poor people are finding it very, very difficult to find jobs and adequate employment, uh, this is going to further exacerbate inequalities. It's putting poor people at disadvantages. They are also more likely to have less access to the public health care systems. As you know, the public health care systems are not as robust as the private health care systems in the region. So, um, you know, one of the things we should keep our eye on um, as social scientists moving forward is like what, what type of inequalities will this produce in our societies? Um, it's something that... Uh, uh, is, is very concerning. And of course, of displaced refugees who don't really have access to either public or private healthcare systems sometimes. Um, so, you know, as we think about sources of grievances um, and, and sources of protests in the future, future uh, not to say, not to always like, you know, be uh, forecasting instability, but there is, there are a lot of ingredients on the ground because of the pandemic that tell us that the grievances, the grievance structures are more, are more robust um, and our, it's something that we're going to keep our eye on um, in future years. And this brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you for joining us today, Amani. This was Mufid19. We will see you next time.